Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I am joined by my co-host Tony and we are Mushing Radio. It is deep into the off-season here, just a week out from the Iditarod sign-up and picnic and uh, Tony has her yearly race schedule out and we have a couple of news and notes in the off-season here. But before we do that, Tony, what's happening in your neck of the woods? I'm melting. We finally have summer just in time for uh, the summer equinox. So it's a lovely 70-something degrees. I've been outside most of the day doing photo shoots, not related to mushing. Uh, So it's been a very busy summer for me, and it's not slowing down. So it's fun to just kind of take a break and imagine that we're in the mushing season, which would mean snow and cooler temperatures. Yeah, it has been a busy time up here. I think it is the hottest day today that we have had this spring and summer. And it's not even summer yet. Summer is in just a couple of days away. But uh, it's been interesting. We've been cool and rainy. Typically, we see a lot of that uh, later in the summer. But I was thinking, my goodness, we might as well go into fall training here in early June and not even (laughs) wait until uh, September, October. And I know a lot of dog kennels have been very busy uh, with their summer chores as well. Have you seen anything on the Facebook pages about what people are doing? Um, I'm seeing a lot of puppy announcements. A lot of litters are being born, um, which is typical for this time of year because especially the mushers that have tour companies, they like to have puppies on hand for um, their guests to be able to snuggle and cuddle and take pictures of. Um, And then there's been quite a bit of complaining about the mosquitoes. And and that's something that I'm having to deal with. My little dog is allergic to mosquitoes. So he puffs up like it's a bee sting. Um, And I can only imagine what it's like for a dog mushing kennel uh, having to deal with mosquitoes on that giant number of dogs. Yeah, and it looked like just in the last couple of days, they have really come out in force. And one of the things that we do every summer is we put up umbrellas in the kennel. We have those regular patio-style umbrellas that we put up, mainly around the older dogs where they're at in their houses. And of course, us, like many other kennels, it's a time to 
build dog houses and bathe dogs and fix equipment and cut down the brush on the trails and all that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of mushers out there, Tony, that this is when they do all of their work for the year. This is where they get their income, whether they're in construction or fishing or doing those tour businesses or whatever. Do you know some of the unique mm -hmm. jobs that some of these guys are doing? A lot of dog mushers are also in the commercial fishing business. Uh, that's been something I think synonymous with dog mushing uh, since at least the 60s. I know that um, Stevie's and Reddington's, they've all done that at least a little bit. And then they've also gone into construction, like you said. Um, so we see a lot of that. And there's a huge boon of um, dog mushing kennels that do tours either on glaciers or down by their properties where they do cart tours. So there's, there's, there's a lot of different things. Um, I kind of feel like mushers in some ways are a lot like school teachers. Uh, they take their summer vacation and they go and they make a little money doing guide work or commercial fishing and that sort of thing. So uh, it feels a, a little similar to that. So it's kind of funny to me when I see some of the mushers that are teachers. Uh, they do double duty with the dogs and then they go and, and do that other uh, income getting in the summer. And, right. And if if you guys are fans of the show, you know, since pretty much I did a rod ended, we've had guests on almost every week uh, where I've interviewed a lot of these guys and gals and we talk a little bit about what they're doing in the off season. Some of them are moving away as handlers and getting their own properties and their own dogs. Others are rebuilding houses and as you said, doing other jobs and preparing for the season to come. And speaking of which, next weekend is when it really kicks off, at least on the Iditarod calendar, and that's when they have their annual picnic, volunteer picnic, and sign-ups. And I know that you've come up many times for that uh, festivities. Are you planning on coming up this year, or what's the plan? Uh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise or construction get in the way uh, there on the highway. Uh, I do plan to be there. It's going to be a long day like normal. It's about a four-hour drive from my house to the Iditarod headquarters. And I do know that I have friends who have told me that I can stay at their home in Anchorage, but my schedule has been so crazy since about, well, since about the end of Iditarod that I just don't have the time to hang out for the weekend. So it's going to be a quick trip up and back. I'll stay through through the end of the thing where they typically list off the, the names that have signed up and they do their little drawings for the entry fee uh, to be returned. And then uh, I'll, I'll head home and, and hopefully get some sleep before it all starts again for me the next day. So I'm sure longtime fans know what this picnic is all about, but can you kind of give us a synopsis about uh, the festivities up there? Yeah, so it started off, I don't even know how long. I'm pretty sure it's from the very beginning of Iditarod. Um, they've always had a volunteer appreciation um, picnic or potluck of some sort. They also used to do, I'm not sure if they still do for the Anchorage volunteers, they've done an end of race potluck at the very end of Iditarod, right around the time that everybody's in to know them. They do an appreciation potluck then, but this is the big one. This is the one that it's in the summer. Everybody's happy. Everybody's relaxed. Nobody's exhausted from two weeks of racing. 
Um, and it's, it's also a time where you'll have the Teachers Education Summit that they do for Iditarod, the Iditarod Education Program puts on. They'll have all of the teachers that have come up for the conference uh, there. Um, it's, it is a tourist stop for most of the tours that are uh, taking the bus and going to cruise ships and stuff. So they don't close down for that. So you have a lot of tourists. Uh, there you'll have sled dogs doing cart rides around the property so it's it's very much what you would expect out of the Iditarod headquarters it's just a few extra people um, in the past different organizations have catered and the last few years it's gone back to its roots where it's the Iditarod committee it's themselves doing the barbecuing of hot dogs and hamburgers. Uh, race Marshal Mark Nordman always brings in fish to grill. I don't know. I believe I've heard that he's talking like he's retired. I don't know if that's happening. This, this was his last race or if it's the next one. I'm not quite sure. So I don't know if he'll be there this weekend. But uh, it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's very relaxing. And then on top of it, to make sure that volunteers get to hobnob with who we like to see, which are the mushers. It's also the first day of sign-ups for the next Iditarod, which is, of course, in March. And um, that starts, actually, I believe they said 9.30 is when sign-ups open in person. Um, they can also do it online. I believe last year Brent Sass sent his in from a beach in Hawaii, which is, I think, rude. No offense to the champ and whatnot, but... Come on, man! Don't be bragging. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's just a it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's very low key, just like you would expect it. It's not a lot of hullabaloo. There's not a lot of lights. There's not a lot of cameras. Uh, you'll typically have one media guy out there for the whole time, and um, but most of it, it's just everybody hanging around, swapping stories, swapping uh, fish stories, as as they say. Um, and yeah, at the end of the, the thing, if the mushers are there in person, they get their names put into a hat and they get drawn for door prizes. And the one that they have to be there to win is their entry fee back, which I believe is still $4,000 this year to enter. So um, they stick around for that. <laughs> now, is, is that entry, is that one uh, for male and one for female or is it just one? Uh, the, it's for two mushers. They don't actually go by gender. It's just two mushers. Oh, just two mushers all together. So, so they yep. do draw two names and then, uh, if those people are present, they continue on. And if they're not yep. present, I assume that they just keep drawing until somebody's there. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. I think, um, I think last year they were able with it being such a small roster and, and pretty slow. I think they were able to kind of weed out who was there and who wasn't there. Um, but yeah, for the most part, if you're if you're actually physically present, and you're not an online um, sign up e, then it's it's pretty easy to just put the names in the hat, and then hopefully the mushers paying attention when they're calling their name, which they all do. They like form a little circle around the MC and they just like stare them down. So well, when when you're when you're drawing for four thousand dollars, I would definitely right. be be there on the front row for sure. Uh, and and they do that at the end of the picnic, or is it sometime just yep. in the day there? Yeah, it's at the very it's at the very end. Otherwise, the mushers wouldn't stick around to the end. And I think that's the whole point is they want 
mushers to stick around so that the teachers that came for the conference can meet them as well as any tourists that kind of stumble along into the the festivities and and the volunteers um you know i don't think many volunteers are there for that purpose necessarily but it's always nice to you know kind of sit and talk i last year i think i told the story of uh, eddie burke jr of course signing up for his rookie year and and all of the little fan girls looking at him and calling him, you know, the mushing Jon Snow, which I didn't really understand. You had to explain it to me after I told you the story last year. So, um, but yeah, it's it's just a lot of fun. I am a wallflower by nature. Uh, as I've said many times before, even this podcast is way out of my comfort zone. So I typically just sit back and kind of observe and eavesdrop. I don't say hi to a lot of people. Um, I, I try, but I'm just so, it's just so not my thing. So um, I just kind of like spy on everybody and, and tweet throughout the day anything that I find funny. And in years past, I know it's been a few years since they've done this, is they've typically done a, a board meeting or some type of meeting and mm-hmm. things will be hashed out and news can break from that. They have not done that in a while, I guess. Is that a COVID casualty? I don't think it's a COVID casualty. I think it's a Musher X casualty. Oh, so a few um, years I before. I do remember that they, yeah, they did. The last one, I believe, was in 2019. Um, so it, I, don't, I don't know. They may be using COVID as an excuse, but they were really starting to shy away from, from that. Um, I know that it took a lot of time for those organizing it. And then it always ran late. So then the picnic started late. And so I don't know if that may be, you know, just a, another excuse and saying it's a COVID casualty, but I think they just moved it to a different date. And speaking of news, just this week, I guess it was, uh, we're recording on the 18th of June. Uh, the Iditarod released a press release saying that for the first time in six years, they're raising the purse. And that's welcome news. We've talked a lot about that over the last few years, since obviously it's sort of been stagnant. Do you have anything to add to that? Obviously, people can find out more about that on iditarod.com, but maybe you have some insight? Uh, I don't really have anything more than what the press release says, which they've raised the entire purse by $50,000. They do mention that that includes money earned through the Iditarod special awards, that's the humanitarian award, the first to the coast award, those types of awards. Um, And they do say that they will be um, putting out more information regarding additional fundraising initiatives in the coming months as the Iditarod intends to find new ways to support both race operations and the mushers that compete in the last great race on earth. Um, They did mention in the press release that one of the reasons why they decided to do it this year, other than the fact that the ITC has been very good in the fundraising department, so kudos to the board there, um, is because uh, they've heard the concerns of the mushers, especially saying that, you know, inflation is not going down. Costs of living in Alaska, especially um, especially out in rural areas, has not gone down and is not going down. They don't expect you know, everyone in uh, corporate America to go, oh, let's take the dog food prices down. We're done with that little fun uh, experiment. So 
I think that this is a really nice gesture by the Iditarod. It's also very encouraging to me to see that they do say that a lot of it is due to their very successful fundraising campaigns that they've been doing. They don't mention what that is. I assume that means we're going to be learning about new sponsors um, because I haven't really seen any other grassroots fundraising fundraiser activities, but I could just be completely oblivious having had the summer that I've had so far. And one point on those raising costs of operating a kennel. Just last week, I was at the International Sled Dog Racing Association Conference in Ohio, and we were talking about dog food there. One of the speakers was there talking, and he said that over the last two years, the cost of his supplies to make the dog food has gone up in his cost more than 45%. Those are his costs to make the food. So that's almost half the price of a bag of dog food that is that is now raised to go up that much further. So a, a bag of dog food that used to cost, you know, 40 odd dollars can now be 50 or $60 and, and it just keeps going up. And he says he's doing his best to take um, some of that cost away from the final cost of the product. But of course he's in business and he has to make money. But if you are operating a kennel, especially on, uh, you know, pinching your pennies, if you will, if your dog food goes up by half uh, just in the last couple of years, that can be a very big detriment to who is uh, able to run in the race. And I know, Tony, I bring that up because you and I have talked a couple of times about why the the roster was so small last year and what the state of mushing is in the, in the next two or three or five or 10 years. And I would have to say that inflation is definitely one of those reasons, and I'm sure you would agree. No doubt. I mean, just uh, talking about last year's picnic, there were several mushers that were there that had no intention of signing up in Iditarod. In fact, they were saying that they were closing their kennel. They were getting out of the, the mushing thing. They were maybe going to hold a few dogs back for recreational, but they were um, rehoming a lot of their team to other mushers who could take on that burden of the inflated prices of running a kennel. So um, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it feels unfair. I especially think about all of the um, more rural teams who aren't necessarily on the road system. We already know that it's um, a financial burden for a lot of the native Alaska mushers, especially those on the West coast to run any of the races, um, much less the Iditarod. And so I think any little bit helps. Um, I'd be interested to see if Iditarod wouldn't um, go back to possibly looking at take cutting that entry fee down a little bit or doing some sort of initiative for those rural communities to get those mushers to the quote unquote mainland or the road system so that we could continue to see Joe Reddington's um, original goal be achieved and that is to keep sled dogs in those communities, in the villages, um, and keep that that tradition alive. So um, I, I think this is a, it, it's a positive for Iditarod that they're able to raise the purse. 
Um, and I don't want to say that they're not doing enough. I, I just hope that this is not, they're not sitting here on their laurels going, okay, we did our part. Um, I would hope that there's more. And they do say that there are other initiatives that they're wanting to, to bring forth. So I, I'm hopeful at this point. There you go. So, Tony, we have never done this in, in front of the picnic, but let's do an over-under, if we can, uh, for entries for this year. And I know it's really the first day of signups. It can go all the way through November. But we always talk about this on the show, especially as we get closer and closer and closer to the deadline about where that number is going to be. So we always do a little bit of prediction, prediction before Iditarod starts. What is your over or under for entries this year, because last year we had no idea that we were only going to have 30-some-odd people running. So what is your number for this year? Well, for the total, if we go all the way into race day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hopeful and say 45. I think for signups, it's probably going to be very similar to last year, though. Um, I think that we're going to see mid-20s in the number. Uh, of signups. And even then, that might be a little generous. I don't actually remember how many signed up first day. I think it was something like 20 or 22. And then that number stayed that low until the very last minute. Um, but yeah, so I think for for the picnic, we'll, we'll say 25. And, and I'll just be really optimistic and say 45 for the, the final roster. Okay, so you're going to go 45 as your number. And uh, Michelle is sitting here. She's doing some work on her computer, but also listening in. So we're going to bring her into the, into the talk for just a <laughs> second uh, since I put everybody on the spot. Michelle, what is your over-under for total entries? And then uh, what do you think on the signups here coming up on Saturday? <sighs> Well, let me just start off by saying, Robert, that I never participate with you in over-unders, as you fully know. Um, how many were in the uh, roster last year at the picnic? Do you remember, Tony, like at all? 20. 20, okay. Uh, 20 or 22, I think. And how many actually ran? Uh, after the drop? 32. 32. And a couple of those dropped out uh, throughout the time. Hmm. Um, getting to the picnic is expensive. Um, so I would say that there'll be probably a dozen, maybe 15 that show up to the picnic. And I would imagine that some of those might be diehards that go because they know the fans are there. Um, or they're going because they want the entry feedback. That's what they're going no, for. No, <laughs> that's not what I'm leading to. What I'm saying is is that they'll show up because they know that the fans are there, whether they're signing up or not. I'm talking about some of the ones that are retiring or retired. So I would say 15 max show up to the picnic to sign up. And I'm going to say we have a field of 28. 28. So we have 45, 28, uh, 12 to 15, and 25 are our numbers here. So I am going to go a little bit more uh, modest on the overall entries, and I'm going to go with 40, and I'm going to go with 12 as my picnic entries. And I, I, I would agree with Michelle. I know it's expensive to get there, especially if you do not live on the road system. 
Uh, but $40,000 can grease a lot of wheels, as they say. Tony, before we go into our race uh, roster, uh, have you ever been to the picnic? And and Michelle said sometimes folks go to the picnic and they're retired, they're getting out of mushing or whatever. Mm -hmm. But have you ever gone to the picnic and seen somebody there that is fully capable of signing up? They want to sign up, but they don't that day. Have you ever seen that? Don't have to name names, but uh, have yeah, you seen that? Yeah, quite a, quite a few. Yeah, especially after um, a certain quote unquote scandal a few years ago, um, there was some pushback by the the finishers club. Um, there were quite a few that did sign up that first day, but there was one. Um, well, he was the reigning champion at the time. He he was there. He had wanted to hear different things in that that meeting, that board meeting uh, ahead of the picnic, and it didn't go quite the way he had hoped. So he just had a good time at the picnic and didn't sign up, uh, and I think made the the board sweat a little bit because he didn't sign up right away. It wasn't until a few other things fell into place that his name was on the roster. So there's there's been a few times uh, I've seen I've seen Martin Boozer and Jeff King come to the the picnic and not sign up day of but sign up later on. I know that Boozer you know has said he's retired and I do believe him and I kind of believe Jeff is done too. But uh, you never know. I never say never. I do know that Boozer's not even in Alaska right now though, according to his wife's Facebook page. So. Um, I, I don't think we, we have to worry about Martin uh, showing up and, and causing uh, the rumor mill to go crazy. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it quite a few times, actually. And speaking of Jeff King, I saw a post, uh, I guess it was this week or something, where he said something to the effect of forget everything you learned from Disney. Come up and learn about what sled yeah. dogs are really about. I'm sure you saw that, right? Yeah. I did, yeah, and then I, I even commented, I was like, to be fair, Togo was probably the best retelling of the serum run out of any of, of the ones that we've seen. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I believe it's his kennel page that, that posted it. They were posting their new uh, touring hours uh, for the season. So they're open, I believe, Tuesday through Saturday, I think is what it said. Uh, with two two tour times, so uh, very exciting. I've actually never been to his kennel tour. I've never made it up that far to do sled dog stuff. I've I've been up that far, just never visited a kennel. And speaking of that, uh, he is in between Wasilla, where the Iditarod headquarters is, and uh, the the Denali Park. He's pretty much right there, near there. And if you're heading up north. That's uh, one of the kennels that a lot of people do stop at uh, as they hit the park and then, of course, onwards to Fairbanks and, and, and beyond. So he is a little bit of ways away from, from a lot of these kennels down here, but yeah. I'm sure he gets quite a bit of business. In fact, he has, or at least he used to have, I haven't been up there in a while, there in the Glitter Gulch area of the state park, national park, he had a storefront there at the, at the park entrance. Do you happen to know if that's still the case or, or has he closed that down since uh, 
COVID or that whatever? That I have no idea. I don't. I don't really know. Um, you know, I barely know what the CVs are doing, and I used to work for them. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I've I've driven past there, but not since COVID. So I couldn't tell you. So if anybody's listening and know if Husky Homestead still has a storefront there at the National Park entrance, let us know in the comments and we will definitely pass that along. So with that, we are going to close this episode and make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast and do us a favor, share this podcast episode with family members and friends and let them know all about Mushing Radio. On behalf of my co-host, Tony, this is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.